Hi everyone, thank you for joining us in Eagle Eye today. Every week we have exclusive interviews with your favorite BC student athletes, professors, alumni, and more. Make sure to follow The Heights on Instagram and Facebook to recommend guests you'd like to hear from. You can catch up on the latest headlines on The Heights Facebook and Twitter pages every Monday. Today we're excited to welcome a special guest, uh, PJ Morales, uh, the sports editor from the Daily Park Hill, uh, UNC's student newspaper. Uh, PJ, thank you for being here to preview BC uh, for UNC men's basketball game scheduled for this Wednesday, January 26th. Uh, can you just give a little background about yourself and uh, your work? Yeah, so hi, my name is PJ Morales. I am a, a junior at UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, I've been the sports editor at our local student newspaper, The Daily Tar Heel, for just over a semester and a half now, and I'll keep being in that capacity until the end of the semester in May. Uh, I've been working with The Daily Tar Heel since about November of 2019, uh, kind of right before the pandemic kicked off, and now here we are. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's awesome. Um, you want to if just going into some details about the game, you know, BC and UNC, they've, they've already played once this year. Uh, it was, it was a very dominant win by UNC and just coming into this matchup, UNC, they, they do dominate BC in most statistical categories as, you know, they average 77.9 points per game to BC's 67.1 uh, points per game. And, you know, their field goal percentage is better. Um, so just given their advantage on paper, is there anything that opposing teams when UNC plays them can do such as BC to, Give themselves a chance against UNC? Well, the good thing about our newspaper is I'm not, we're not, you know, a fan publication, so I'm allowed to, you know, say what I think the weaknesses of this mm -hmm. team are. And if you were able to catch any of the last couple games against Miami or Wake Forest, you'll know kind of the big focus defensively for opposing teams has been Armando Baycott, uh, junior big man from UNC, uh, potential, you know, ACC player of the year candidate right now. Um, you know, the, the, the last couple games, he was really hot before those two games. Uh, he kind of had free reign in the paint. He was, you know, putting moves on people. He was bullying people down low. Uh, there was some more high-low passing. He was demanding a lot of attention. So guards on the wing like Caleb Love and RJ Davis were getting really, really open. Uh, but now you're seeing teams like Miami and Wake Forest start to double and even triple him in the paint. Uh, and what it's led to is really, really low shooting percentages on his part, uh, comparatively, at least. I mean, he's, he's pretty much a double-double machine. He's good for a double-double most nights. But I think you've seen people really start to go hard on him down low. And when people know that he might not necessarily make the shot or that when he's really guarded, there's going to be immediately more defensive pressure out on the wing, uh, leading guys like uh, Caleb Love and RJ Davis to take more contested shots. Uh, and what it's shown this year is that those contested shots aren't falling as much for the Tar Heels as they might like. So I think it'll be a game of if they can stop Baycott in the paint early, if the Eagles can stop Baycott in the paint early, this could be a very different contest from the one we saw in the beginning of the season. Yeah. Um, I mean, just for a little bit of context, yeah, Ar Armando Baycott um, basically has been killing it all January, I think. Like he's had back-to-back 29-point -back games. Um Basil has had double-digit rebounds, I think, in the last nine games. Um, yeah. I want to say it's, right now, nine straight double-doubles. Uh, wow. That's yeah. crazy. It's, it's, yeah, it's wild. And even on games where he's not shooting, you know, as great as it is, you know, it's it's still 12 points and nine rebounds – or 12 points mm -hmm. and 10 rebounds, rather, and then, you know, that's the stat line right there. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be matched up against uh, BC's big man, James Karnick, who, who's, who actually had played – he's been playing pretty well these past few games. Um, he led us to an – led BC to a nice win over Virginia Tech. And he's actually like a transfer from Lehigh and he's, you know, kind of surprised a lot of people this year. So that will be the matchup, him and uh, Armando. We have to wait to see that. Do you think 
Armando was going to dominate that matchup? Or what, what do you think about that? Well, I remember like vaguely the name Karnik from uh-huh. the first matchup. And I remember him kind of being the point of emphasis for a play on Armando. But I think, you know, back then there was kind of this foregone conclusion that, yeah, you know, any, you know, big man who might be a little taller, maybe a little skinnier than Armando because Armando, you know, he's uh, 6'10", 6'11", but he's, I think, pushing 250, 260. You know, mm-hmm. he's a he's a heavier dude. So I think kind of the conclusion then was if someone's lighter than him, if someone's not going to, you know, be able to, you know, resist that, you know, that backing down play style he has, then, you know, they're going down. And I think that was kind of the, the view on Karnik uh, earlier in the season. But, I mean, you know, the strategy has kind of been, you know, out of the last two games. And if you're able to get a solid big man, for instance, uh, in Miami, that was Sam Wardenberg. Uh, in Wake Forest, that was uh, Jake LaRavia. Like, if you're able to get a solid big man on him and get a guard, you know, pestering him on the other on his other side, then all of a sudden he becomes a different player, taking more contested shots, lower percentage shots. So I think I think Karnik uh, definitely stands a chance against Armando, but if that play style is taken into account and if he's got you know, a second or even sometimes in other moments, a third player, you know, really helping him defend him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, BC definitely has their their range of big men. Um, we got Karnick, as, as you guys were saying, and then Quentin Post, a big seven-footer. So oh, yeah, I forgot about him. No, I just forgot about him. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully we'll have enough Arsenal to kind of lock him down, but it, it'll be tough for sure. Um, and, yeah, I guess um, kind of kind of transitioning a little bit, um, you have you have a new coach, Cuber uh, Davis. Yeah, right. um, yeah. yeah. I uh, wonder if you can speak on his success at all because I know um, he's been, you know, at the at the helm um, for a while now. So I think um, you know there's kind of this expectation, and you know it's it's it varies from I would say fan to fan and student to student and you know viewer to viewer at UNC that you know when you go from a guy like Roy Williams who has this Hall of Fame pedigree who's you know a legend to a lot of people and you go to Hubert Davis, a guy who's still very much a member of kind of the UNC family. He's been in the coaching staff a long time. He played at UNC. So he's, he's a familiar face. And when you don't see that kind of immediacy of success that, you know, you would expect to see with a hall of fame coach like UNC has had, you know, you know, in years past where, whether that's Roy Williams, Dean Smith, whatnot, um, then there's almost this pressure that, you know, oh, maybe is there pressure on Hubert Davis early to win? And while I think he's he's disappointed that a lot of these games haven't been, you know, recently especially haven't been, you know, big wins that they needed. You know, they needed a win against Wake Forest. Uh, Miami's a great team this season in the ACC, but a win against them would have been nice. But Wake Forest was a crucial win. Uh, and even tonight, they're playing tonight against Virginia Tech. That's going to be a really, really important game uh, for this season. But I think a lot of people expected that immediacy of success to come, especially with the level of talent on the roster. And that hasn't happened yet. There's still stuff that needs to be worked out. There are still kinks that need to be worked out. So I think he deserves a little more time. I think, you know, there's, you know, some, some growing pains that need to be accepted. But, I mean, earlier in the season, it was, it was kind of wild. I mean, you were seeing these huge blowout wins against ACC competition, obviously a huge win against Michigan, which is not one anyone really expected after losses to Purdue and Tennessee. I mean, like that big win was kind of a defining win for this program. And then to kind of see some of that momentum slowing as, you know, a grueling ACC schedule kicks on is, is understandable that, you know, fans are getting upset about that kind of thing, but there is still stuff to be hopeful about. (laughs) You talk about like that, that sense of immediate success, that, that pressure just he had. Is there 
do you do you expect as a writer or just someone who covers this team like a, a, a March Madness appearance this year or is that a little too far-fetched at this moment? Um, I, I definitely think it's possible. I definitely think mm -hmm. that the talent exists on the team and I definitely think that if you've seen in past games, the play style exists on the team. You know, like Armando Baycott has been, guys like Brady Manick and Austin Garcia have put in really important performances when it's necessary so i think it's possible but i mean for instance if you check uh like bracketology on espn right now they have unc at 66 in the first four out and according to you know lenardi a loss to virginia tech tonight kind of makes that a lot more difficult so i don't it's certainly not guaranteed uh, and it certainly shouldn't be i would say expected but it's also not something that should be surprising if it happens you know at a low seat of course in my mind this, this team's not going to be a, a highly seated team in my mind, but a tournament appearance is a possibility, but not a given, certainly. Yeah, speaking about March Madness and kind of the end of the year, I know you guys um, have a lot of NBA caliber guys. Uh, you know, we talked about Armando Baycott, uh, Caleb Love, and then maybe even uh, Brady Manick. Um, I don't know, like, how is it um, kind of shaping the team around them? Because, um, you know, for BC, I, we, we don't really have that star power. I mean, you can say DeMar Langford, who's like our, our small forward, but, you know, hasn't really broken out the way um, fans hoped him to. I mean, how is it having those three guys and, and more maybe on the team that I'm not mentioning um, kind of shape the team? And I mean, you've, you've spoken so much about it already, but how, how is it for them? Xavier? No, I think, and I think, you know, full credit to BC. I mean, I saw um, the same night that UNC beat Georgia Tech, Boston College had, what, the largest ACC comeback in history. Yeah, against Clemson. So, yeah, that was – 23 points, that, I think. I was – yeah, uh, 23 or 24, I think. 20, but I was, yeah, I was like sitting in the press box with all the kind of UNC guys, and they were like, like – because we, we were watching, you know, UNC destroy Georgia Tech, yeah, uh, which yeah. was kind of a given. I mean, they're bottom of the conference. But, like, you know, we're seeing this, and it's like, wait – is Boston College actually doing this against this Clemson team? So that was that was pretty fun to see. So I think some some credit where credit is due. You know, Boston College is expected to be near bottom of the conference, and I mean to make uh, a push like yeah. they have this season has been impressive. But no, uh, to your uh, question, Eamon, I think you know having a guy like Brady has been really essential to this team because on nights and even on nights where they're not winning, but it's on nights where Armando isn't necessarily as hot as he could be. You know, Brady's able to go in there and score three or four in a row in the paint. He's able, he has a much cleaner three-point shot than Armando does. He's been able to have, you know, multiple double-digit scoring games. He's had a double-double here and there. So I think having a guy like Brady has been really good. Obviously, Caleb Love is, you know, your typical kind of electric guard. You know, he's going to put up, you know, a billion shot attempts a game and maybe only five fall and maybe 20 fall. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever kind of the gods are feeling that night. Uh, but he has those nights where he's really impressive, but he also has some historically kind of low shooting nights. So um, it all it all kind of focuses on those demanding that kind of attention. I mean, Wake Forest, when they have him shut down and he's not putting the ball up, all of a sudden scoring for guys like Caleb and, you know, a, a guy I keep mentioning, RJ Davis, who's had a really kind of like wild breakout season, um, mm -hmm. you know, scoring for them becomes a lot harder. Uh, but, but when Armando's... I mean, he's putting buckets over people's heads constantly. So I think having those kind of three guys, plus guys like RJ Davis and, you know, Dawson Garcia, uh, transfer from Marquette, who was former five-star, former Dallas All-American, 
Uh, no, he might not be in Reborn's All American, but he's certainly a five star. Um, you know, having guys like that is, you know, it's it's something that North Carolina hasn't always done in the past. We've not always been, uh, you know, a transfer heavy school. It's not always been the big recruit school, but it's always been kind of the team basketball school. So it's the meshing of those two styles that's really, really interesting. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned R.J. Davis, and he's definitely taken a huge leap this year. I think he's, he was named captain before the year. And that's a player um, I've actually been following for a while. Um, he went, You probably know this. He went to Stepanek um, High School, and I, I lived like 20 minutes from there. I saw him play a bunch oh, of times. Yeah, right. yeah, it's really cool. Do you, can you just talk a little more about, like, the leap he's taken this year and how huge he's been for UNC? Because whenever I seem to watch UNC, I, just, I see him, you know, really helping the offense, really efficient from the three. Is there anything else you want to talk about him about and just the leap he's taken? Yeah, well, quick fun fact, uh, RJ Davis uh, went to Stepanek. Uh, someone else who went to Stepanek, I think, or they were on yep. the same age. AJ, AJ, uh, AJ Griffin. Griffin. Yeah, no, AJ Griffin. They, they, were, they were teammates for like two, two or three years. I saw them both play, yeah. Yeah, so um, it's been kind of cool seeing RJ, you know, do it here at uh-huh. UNC, and then AJ really, really that breaking too. out. Okay. He's, he's been breaking out. Yeah, sure. From bench to starter is, is pretty mm-hmm. wild. RJ, RJ was, you know, it was a toss up whether he was going to be a starter or not, but toward the end of Roy's tenure last season, he really started kind of entrenching himself. But yeah. I mean, like, I think RJ has shown a lot more explosion than what people thought. I mean, originally, when you watched this game a little bit, uh, I mean, in high school, he had that, you know, there were guys like Steph Curry saying, wow, this guy RJ can really play, you know, at pro camps wow. or not. Yeah. Uh, but in college, uh, in his first year at least, he was a little bit more of a shooter. You know, he was he was taking, you know, a couple higher percentage three-point looks from the corner, from the wing, um, showing some flashes of creating his own shot, but, you know, not huge. But then, I mean, this second season, I mean, he's, he's really learned, I guess, how to drop his shoulder, per se. Like, he's, he's taking it into the paint really strong a lot of the time. He's getting contested foul shots, looking a little bit more like – I think he's learned that from Caleb Love a little bit, you know, you know, having that quicker first step, having that quicker crossover, you know, being able to take it in against a guy who's maybe five or six inches taller than you. I mean, RJ's really developed that. And he's a small dude. So developing that part of the game has made him a lot more dynamic. So – people are often afraid, all right, when, when, when we have him on the screen and roll, I mean, is he going to drive in and then who's going to stop him or is he going to pop out for the shot? I mean, like he's, he's become a lot more dynamic, certainly could hit more shots. Certain nights he went over 10 against UVA followed by a huge performance against Georgia tech. So he's also, you know, on and off a little bit, but when he's on, he's on for sure. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, to have those guys that can kind of do it all. I know that's, that's any coach's dream, you know, to, you know, get buckets on the offensive end, but then kind of clamp up on defensive. I mean, that's exactly what you want. And I know for, for our coach uh, at BC, Earl Grant, you know, in his first year, that's that's been his kind of mentality. He's really wanted to kind of integrate the defensive-minded mindset um, into this BC core that hasn't really had that as much um, in the past, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. And to kind of transition a little bit, um, I know for on BC side, we've really struggled with um, like attendance um, at games. And I, I, as a basketball school, as, as someone like, you know, um, where the basketball team is the total focus, I know you probably have tons of people at the games where we're really struggling. Like, how's that um, difference? I mean, how's that as a basketball school? Yeah. So uh, I'm uh, funny enough, originally from Miami, Florida. Uh, I grew up there my whole life and the university of Miami, even though I think they are second or third in the ACC right now is bottom of the ACC in attendance. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, The Miami Herald wrote an article about it recently and found it kind of funny. 
but and especially and that that being especially funny because I mean when you're top of the ACC and you've got guys like um, Isaiah Wong and Ken McGusty like we're really popping out you expect there to be a huge fan presence but with Carolina it's almost a given I'd say I mean people are going to go see the basketball team no matter who's on it. It could be all, you know, the bench boys like that. You know, the difference here is, and I don't know if this is the case for BC, everyone at UNC knows who the bench boys are. There's not a player on the roster people don't know. Like from, I remember when I was in my first year, there was this guy named Robbie O'Han, who was a former walk-on guy, never played, but man, people would be screaming, you know, bring Robbie in. And this guy, this year, that's a guy named Dewey Ferris. He's uh, just some... I, just some rando. I know very little about Dewey Ferris, but man, people get excited to see him get in the game when UNC is like up 30 or down 30. Like people are excited to see him get in the game. Uh, so I think, and the, uh, the problem that a lot of people have, you know, with a sport like basketball is the problem that for a long time UNC had with a sport like football. I mean, in the past, you know, uh, I would say before I got here, maybe the year before I got here, anyone could walk into a Carolina football game while it was happening. Uh, you didn't have to show anyone a ticket. You just, you know, flash your student ID card and sit down and there were plenty of seats for you to sit in. Now, because the team's gotten so good, games are selling out, you know, 40,000 people and the student sections are filling up. So I, I think, I think, you know, Carolina's always had that basketball culture. So the attendance is, is always going to be there. Whereas with schools that have maybe struggled a little bit more historically or weren't, you know, there from the fifties and sixties, you know, trying to build that kind of, uh, I mean, the South back then for basketball, the UNC Duke rivalry was even big back then. I mean, it's, it's harder to build that kind of constant stream of attendance. But when you come to UNC, it's like, Oh yeah, you'll go to basketball games. It's, it's UNC. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, BC, I guess in a way, BC and UNC have that similarity with, you know, football and basketball. BC never struggles with football attendance, but, you know, basketball, a little bit different. And, you know, just the different cultures. Yeah, you all have a fun football coach, or at least you used to. I don't know if he's still the coach, but he's, the guys being dudes, that, that's that's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> uh, I, don't know, I don't know if he's still the coach there anymore. He might have been fired, but. Yeah, no, yeah. we actually, uh, coach, coach Halfley, we had him on the podcast. Like, his Halfley, that's his name, Jeff Halfley. Yeah, he's, he's a great guy, really personable loves the students loves the student culture so we're really lucky to have them but yeah i mean i mean amen after hearing about everything pj's had to say about this unc team is there any particular thing you think bc should do in order to have a chance to win this game is there anything specific yeah you know i i, I mean if anything i'd say lock down baycott um any way possible um, yeah that'll def that's that's definitely going to be key i think and just yeah. On the BC side of things, Makai Ashton Langford, PJ, uh, he's been averaging like 17 points the past five games. He'll definitely be a no, player. Yeah. Him and RJ, I think, will go back and forth. No, Makai, Makai Ashton Langford is a name that has been, you know, trending yeah. around the conference. I mean, he was, I mean, he's, he's, he's top 10 ACC scoring last I checked, uh, you know, mm -hmm. up there with guys like, you know, that duo from Miami up there with guys like Michael DeVoe from Georgia Tech. Like those are, those are really high, you know, high not just um, high percentage necessarily, but, you know, just high point, high volume shooting, high, high volume scorers. So those kinds of guys also cause trouble for UNC because what we've noticed, uh, you know, while covering UNC is that perimeter defense can be really, really tough. So if someone is able to get past their man and take it inside, it can be really, it can be really kind of a dangerous situation for UNC. And we've also seen that three point shooting defense has been, has been rough. So 
Uh, and it was interesting, you know, with guys like, you know, Sam Wardenberg on Miami, who's this super tall, uh, he's, he's close to seven feet or is seven feet. I mean, he, I think he hit five threes or six threes. I mean, like he was, he was rainbowing them in. So like, it's been perimeter defense has definitely been a struggle, uh, for this UNC team and Mackay kind of Ashton Langford, you know, he, he brings that threat. Uh, so yeah. there will definitely be a defensive eff- emphasis on him. That's, and I'm sure Coach Davis and all the you know defensive coaches, Coach Lebo, uh, Coach Jeff Lebo, who is a kind of a defensive guy, prepares a lot of defensive scouting reports. Uh, I'm sure he prepared something on Mackay Ashton Langford. So he won't be undefended tonight. I assure you that. Or uh, not tonight. Uh, Wednesday. Wednesday? Wednesday. Yes. Wednesday. Yeah, you know, yeah, as you were saying, you know, just to spout out a little bit of some stats, um, I mean, UNC basically has a statistical advantage in every kind of major category over BC. So that's a little intimidating, but, um, you know, leading in three-point percentage at um, and field goal percentage at 46.2% for field goal and then 36.9% uh, three-pointers um, to BC's 42.6%. 33% uh, three-pointers, uh, respectively. So, you know, a little bit of, of difference there. We, we can kind of hold on. Um, but really, you guys, I mean, it, it's going to be like a really tough matchup um, for BC to just um, kind of hold down every aspect of yeah. it. I mean, rebounding, um, I mean, even assists, you know, the, the facility. You guys, you guys lead the ACC in rebounding, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's always been a point of emphasis from even from Roy to, you know, Hubert Davis, I mean, uh, there were guys like Daron Sharp and Walker Kessler, both of whom have oh, yeah. moved on to bigger things. Daron in the league, Walker Kessler on number one Auburn. So it's, you know, <laughs> but um, no, I think something that you'll be able to tell how this game is going is a stat I saw recently was in its, I think it's six losses this season. UNC has given up an average of somewhere around 95 or 96 points uh, on average in all those losses. So I think you'll see if BC comes out scoring hot early. Yeah, I don't think we've ever – I don't think BC has ever scored that many points, so that'll certainly be interesting. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to say that, but – No, I, no, I, no, I, no. I'm just, I'm just saying. But if you see BC come out scoring early, you know, really, really, really hot and, you know, trading points back and forth, because on its 12 wins this season, UNC's given up an average of only around 60-something points. Oh, wow. So, I mean – You'll see if, if UNC is able to hold its own defensively early, that that could be the game. But if BC is able to come out and in the first five or six minutes put up, you know, high volume scoring, then this could be a closer one than people think. But yeah, I also I do think it's going to be a tough matchup for the Eagles just because I mean, when when UNC's guys are on, I mean, I really do think they can be a top half tournament team when they're all on, when they're all firing on all cylinders. But there have been varying moments of that, varying moments of, you know, effort versus skill. So we'll see how it goes, but it could be really interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, BC, they're no, – no as you previously mentioned, no one thought BC would be have this many ACC, ACC wins this early into the season. But just overall, how has the ACC surprised you in any way? I know, like, teams that are usually, you know, up there, Syracuse, not doing too well. Wake Forest has been great. They're usually not, not up there. Um, has anything caught your eye or any, you have any thoughts on just the conference in general this year? Well, uh, I don't mean to be a downer, but I, I don't think the ACC is doing too hot this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, one, only one ranked team in, you know, the, the well, Blue Devils yeah. is, 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 is interesting. Uh, and obviously other teams are getting votes, but uh, 
No, I, I, I definitely think teams like BC and Wake Forest really kind of showing out is, you know, it's, it's something at the end of the day I think is good for the conference. I always am going to believe that more parity in a conference is a better thing when mm-hmm. the best teams aren't always beating the worst teams. I'm a big uh, Premier League soccer fan, and that's kind of a big thing you see in the Premier League is that when a small team beats a big team, that's considered a great thing for soccer because it means that, oh, all the money you spend, all the recruiting time you spend, that doesn't necessarily give you an advantage, you know, any given Wednesday, any given Tuesday. So uh, I think the conference has been more equal this season, which, yeah, sure, maybe has translated to less teams being ranked and maybe kind of less conference quality overall. I think the SEC is kind of kind of dominant right now but in terms of parity i think it's been really interesting to see because blue bloods now are suffering losses they did not expect to suffer you know duke losing to florida state losing to uh, miami like those kinds of games you know you don't usually expect from a team that has you know that many five-star recruits and that many four-star recruits versus a team that doesn't have that kind of capacity so i think it's been a more equal conference but it's it's been interesting to see in kind of the grand national scape Definitely, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and, and kind of talking about your own personal experience. I mean, you've been sports editor for just a little bit now, but um, like, has there been any kind of cooler opportunities or experiences that you've had um, maybe in years before or uh, just in this season? Um, so it was interesting. Um, when, when the pandemic was, you know, kind of still in its fullest throttle and, you know, no one was going anywhere and it was kind of, uh, you know, we weren't supposed to be going out to games and whatnot. I remember covering uh, the UNC Duke basketball game from my apartment. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was the first, it was one of the first basketball games I had ever covered, maybe the first or second only I'd ever covered. And it was the UNC Duke game at, you know, the, the Dean Dome at the Dean Smith Center. And yeah. I felt this kind of immense pressure on my shoulders because it was like, oh, this isn't just, you know, a normal basketball game. This is, you know, you know, what, what, what you're told when you get here to college that this is the greatest rivalry in all of college basketball, some might say in all of college sports, UNC Duke basketball, that's, that's it. So I remember when we're covering the game, I felt this immense weight and I, I wrote what I thought was a really, really good story at the end of the day. And I remember looking on Twitter and I saw all these people rushing Franklin street, like, you know, which is what UNC does after they beat Duke, which is what they did. They beat Duke. And so it was interesting that, you know, during the pandemic, their cops ended up showing up and dispersing that crowd because obviously oh, wow. it was supposed to be yeah. kind of crowding up. And I mean, at that, at that point of the pandemic, I mean, I'm glad they did because that was a really dangerous time to be really grouped up. But it was so interesting that like a college basketball rivalry, which maybe in the grand scheme, you know, is important to a lot of people but in the grand scheme of things versus a pandemic might uh-huh. not sound like, you know, the most important thing, but people were willing to risk like everything to go out like onto Franklin Street. And I don't necessarily agree with that decision. I don't think that was a good decision, but I think it goes to power that these, you know, games can have for people when you play a rival team when you know you're when you're in the throes of just a high tension college basketball or college sports situation how much willing are people how much people are willing to risk i think it's, mm-hmm. it's it was really interesting to see didn't that game last year like end on a buzzer like last minute like score i think or it was it was some of the wildest basketball yeah I've that, seen. Was, <laughs> that, that was game was crazy yeah <laughs> tell you that i mean i'm sitting there in my dorm like ah, i gotta write <laughs> yeah. about this <laughs> that, that's all, that's crazy. <laughs> Has like, you know, obviously college athletes they can they can now profit off their name and likeness. Has that affected like any way you cover the teams, or has that presented any unique opportunities, or is it just mostly mostly the same? You would say. 
Well, for sure, it's presented some unique opportunities for us. I mean, even thinking about football season, I mean, we got to, you know, talk with not necessarily Sam Howell himself. We were able to get, uh, you know, some quotes from him. But, like, mm-hmm. to talk with the people who are running, like, a trading card company that was sponsoring him that was supposed to be, like, oh, a million-dollar awesome, yeah. deal. Like, so the fact that UNC had such a high-profile guy like Sam Howell or even a guy like Armando Baycott doing, you know, a deal, like, with a local, you know, seafood chain, Jimmy Seafood. Like, you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of deals I generally think are good for college basketball because it means more money going to players who, who really, like we've seen, desperately, like, need money for their families. Like, you know they they often come to you know college sports and eventually professional sports to escape really rough financial situations so more money that can get into their pockets the better but it's been it's definitely presented us with unique opportunities that hasn't really affected our coverage beyond that beyond you know laying us right about sam howell getting trading cards <laughs> um yeah that that's awesome i mean definitely a lot of cool opportunities um you know and just I guess wrapping things up, um, if you want to, you know, tell us or just go into, you know, what's next for you, maybe after UNC or I saw on Twitter, you might, you're doing something cool this summer um, with someone else who works at the Heights or if you want to, you know, plug your, plug your Twitter account. You yeah. Know, you do that now. With, with Emma, Emma's, Emma's yeah. really, really cool. I actually did um, the, uh, like the campus showdown, like ACC radio thing oh, okay. uh, with Emma, man, that was, that was like two years ago now. But yeah, it was really cool to get to talk to her. Also, I see, is that a John Wall jersey on your wall? <laughs> I can't tell on, on your wall, Jack. Is that a John Wall jersey? Um, oh, oh yes, that is. That, that, that's my roommate's, uh, that's my roommate's oh, oh, okay, uh, okay. jersey. Yeah. I, I was going to say, one of my boys is a big Wizards fan. So oh, like, okay. That's he's cool. out here like, oh, Lakers should trade Westbrook for John Wall. And I'm like, all right, I don't know if anyone's winning that situation. But um, no, oh, I didn't uh, see that, yeah. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, so this summer with uh, the sports editor of the Heights, uh, Emma mm-hmm. Healy, uh, she and I are going to be hopefully going out to Arizona to do something called the Sports Journalism Institute, which is for minorities and women in sports journalism to get kind of, you know, firsthand industry experience with, you know, a lot of cool guest speakers, a lot of cool presentations, workshops, followed by, you know, a full summer professional internship which I will be spending with the Washington Post, which is a really, like, I the most exciting opportunity I could ever ask for, frankly. Um, and I'm really excited to see Emma out in Arizona. I'm really excited for the summer. Uh, and then I'll, I have one more year at UNC. I'll be a senior, you know, this coming 2022-23. So we'll see. I'm sure there will be more sports awaiting for me then. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I mean, we'll have to keep the UNC-VC rivalry. Oh, going. dude, for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm so down with whenever UNC and PC, like we'll, we'll always have someone ready to talk to the Heights for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I'm really glad we did this. Thank you. Thank you, PJ, once again for joining us. And, uh, you know, we hope everyone out there enjoyed the interview and just thanks for listening to Eagle Eye. See you next time. Yeah, appreciate y'all.